This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy and a little bit of a change to the lineup. We're getting towards the end of the season, a few injuries. My usual co-host Adam has been hit by COVID, so we've uh, we've brought in the subs. Ollie, it's fantastic to have you on. I know it's been a long time coming, so yeah, it's superb for you to be joining us in in Adam's absence. Hi, Amos. Yep, thank you, and thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Um, itinerary for today then is pretty simple. Obviously, City dropping points at the weekend. We'll chat about West. Time we'll get into that, but we'll also speak about two main talking points as well from from the the world of City this week, and that's Ilkay Gundogan's rumored departure, and then a little bit more fun stuff on the new kits, which is set to be released in the coming weeks. Um, like I said, let's get straight into it then with the West Ham game. It's been a few days since that match took place and that match finished. West Ham United two, Manchester City two. The dust has well and truly settled then, hasn't it, Ollie? And, you know, I think the, the feelings we may have had at full time have changed a little bit. But having had those couple of days to reflect, what's your thoughts and feelings after that game? Frustration, disappointment, belief, or all three in one? It's it's hard to say. It's, it's really hard. I think I'm still almost in the middle of figuring it out and figuring out how I feel about this. Because before the game, if you say... Or at any point in the season, you know, I said I said this the other day that if you're if you're playing away at West Ham in the middle of October, middle of November, when there's nothing really this big on the line at that stage, then you would say, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd hmm. probably take a draw away at West Ham, uh, especially with the quality they've got at the moment. And before the game, I had faith that we would get the job done and that we'd see it through. And then at two 0 down, you 
kind of back to that stage of, well, I'll snap your hands off. And it's so fluid because then in the second half, when you see how the lads have rallied and, and, and managed to turn it around, albeit with one or maybe even two lucky goals, if mm. you will, mm. uh, as soon as it gets to the penalty and with the miss, obviously you're thinking, in the circumstances, we should have won. So, mm. I don't know how I feel about it. I think at the end of the day, we need four points from the last two games. We've got one. But it does crank up the pressure. Uh, I think looking back to 10 years ago, walking around the, the ground before the QPR game, we were almost assuming the win. Mm. Uh, the mood seems to be a little bit different this time. I think there's, there's fear of typical City happening again. And obviously all the narratives with the game around Coutinho, Gerrard. Uh, yeah, as well. Throw Grealish in yeah. there. He, he's he's going to have a say, isn't he? Whether that's good or bad. Now I know exactly what you mean. It's um, uh, I think the way I I sort of looked at it post match was forty five fifty minutes ago. Somebody said to me, "You get to an opportunity where at eighty five minutes, Riyad Mahrez could step up and make it three two City." Is there anybody who would wouldn't have taken that? Absolutely not. And and it just happened to be that that penalty was missed. And we'll do a little bit of penalties actually, and whether or not there's a curse around City. But I I couldn't I couldn't get myself mad about that penalty purely because well twofold really the performance was abject in the first half. It was. Well, I think if you look at the way City have dropped points this year, especially away from home, the only loss this season on the away games was the first game of the season against Tottenham. And that was probably that first half, the worst away performance we've seen from City since that Tottenham game. So to actually escape what is a very difficult West Ham United. And, you know, I think it's perhaps gone a little bit under the radar. They had they had a lot to play for. You know, they, they could have jumped into the Europa League group stage uh, positions with a win. To come back, like you say, fortunate goals. Does City have some of them in the bank? I suppose you'd probably say yeah, given the chances City have missed over the last sort of month or so. And you think back to those Madrid games, you know, City were probably due an own goal or a lucky deflection. But um, I guess we'll get on to the penalty conversation then because it does seem to be like it's a recurring theme, doesn't it? And there almost seems to be an audible groan whenever the referee points the spot in City's favour, which, which is usually the other way around because... You often know how it's going to end up. Um, some numbers then. Since the beginning of last season, City have been awarded 25 penalties. Seven of those have been missed. 18 scored. For comparison purposes, Liverpool have been awarded 18 in that same time and they've only missed two. If you go back even further then, 2019-20, that number gets even worse. And when you look at it from the wider context, it does feel, doesn't it, like there's a, a clear issue with penalties. You know, where, where do you stand on that? Is it coincidence or is there an underlying problem that almost needs to be fixed? There, there is an underlying problem, but I don't think it's quite as bad as, as as we see because I think there's some negative confirmation bias going on here. You know, we we miss a pen and it's it's the worst thing in the world, and those are the ones that stick in your mind. But I, I've actually I'm, I'm a bit of a stats geek and I've looked at some numbers. Superb. So we love to hear. Yeah, the the xG for a penalty is around 0.76 to 0.78. In yeah. other words, the average penalty taker taking your average penalty will score 76 to 78 times out of 100. Uh, for those unfamiliar with XG, which I think everybody should be by now. But yeah, saying, it's 2022, guys. Come on. Yeah. The City's rate after the weekend, so the numbers you've just given, puts us at 72%. We convert 72% of penalties. So we are just below the statistical average. 
Liverpool score around 80, I think it's 88.8%. So they're far above the average. Is Are our numbers a problem? They're a problem because we should expect to be above the average. We're above the average for everything else we yeah, do. In fact, yeah. we're, we're completely at the other end of the spectrum that generally no other club but Liverpool touches uh, in terms of goals conceded, expected goals conceded, all of these things. So there is a problem. If you look at the penalty takers, the, now this is the other thing that I've seen a lot of on Twitter over the last over the last couple of days. Why didn't Kevin De Bruyne take mm, it? Mm. And I'm thinking, well, what the coaching staff really should be doing is just simply looking at the numbers. Whoever's got the best ratio should be taking them. Mares has the best ratio. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Of, of, of the players in the squad, uh, Jesus has converted 50%, three out of six. Sterling has converted 43%, three out of seven. So they're kind of already out of contention. Uh, De Bruyne has scored four out of six, so 67%. And Mares, again, after the weekend, 71.4%. Now, before the West Ham game, he was sat at 86%. Uh, six out of seven, yeah, 86%. So Mares is the best we've got. The problem is that we're also used to far better takers. Aguero, 82 Tevez, 86%. Yaya, 100%. That's 11 out of 11. <laughs> yeah. Um, further down the list, Nicholas Anelka, also 100%. 7 out of 7. Uh, Keith Curl, he was a surprising one when I looked at the stats. Curly Whirly, uh, he <laughs> hit 6 out of 6 in the Premier League. And Balotelli, of course, again, you know, another freak. He was 5 out of 5. Ilano, 6 out of 6. So we have actually been blessed over the years with some really good penalty takers. Mm. Some, In some cases, perfect penalty takers. And I think we're just experiencing a mixture of disappointment that we're missing them at such crucial stages of the season. I think Mara's at Anfield a couple of years ago uh, mm. also rings a bell. And the one at the weekend. But... We have a better penalty taker on the way. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, he has taken pe- 10 penalties for Borussia Dortmund and scored eight. So he is at an 80% hit rate. And I think this season, yes, this season, taken eight, scored eight. So hopefully we can go back to the halcyon days of the pen being almost a guarantee. But I think for now, we just have to accept this. And Mares does line up above average for penalties. And here's the best that we've got. So I think we, uh, we, we've we just got to grit our teeth, move on, take the point. Um, forgive Mares for it. Mm. And uh, yeah, just, just go and win at the weekend. Certainly. I, I, re- I mentioned it post-game immediately. Riyad Mahrez has scored important penalties for City. He's missed important penalties. That's what penalties are. To be honest, if I was given a blank sheet of paper and I could rewrite the rules of football, I probably wouldn't introduce a, an aspect to the game where, like you say, you've got a 0.76 XG just, to, just for a foul in the box. It does seem weighted incredibly to the attacker, but... I guess I, my sort of point comes a, a little bit more emotionally than, than the numbers. And I, I wonder if perhaps is a, an underlying issue with Guardiola teams and penalties. And I don't mean this in a sort of, let's sound the, sound the alarm buttons. But when you look at Guardiola's philosophy, and this may just be me absolutely galaxy brain in it, but when you look at Guardiola's philosophy, everything's about control, isn't it? Every single position on the pitch, every single position on the bench in terms of staff, every single position in the catering 
tea. You know, every single part of Guardiola's life is probably uber control. The only part of football where that doesn't exist is when you reduce it to 1v1 attacker versus goalkeeper from the spot. When, yes, it is weighted in the attacker's favour and usually it's a certain goal for the, for the attacking team, but goalkeepers have a lot to play in there. And Premier League goalkeepers, I don't know if you ever stood next to one or anyone listening ever stood next to one, they are bloody big humans. Like You're not a goalkeeper if you're just a sort of tweed, a little skinny, skinny little rat. You are a bulky person. You've got to fill out a net. So... I wonder if perhaps for City to be a little bit better at penalties, they just have to embrace the chaos a little bit more because they're inherently chaotic aspects of football, aren't they? And, you know, it's it is, uh, it's certainly something that benefits attacking teams. I don't know if I'm being crazy here, but um, they, they just seem to be the only part of football that Guardiola cannot control. And you've seen it when City missed them. It happened at the weekend. He stoops to all fours, doesn't he? Hands on that lovely, shiny head of his. And it's a story we've seen about a billion times over. And until Erling Haaland pulls on that blue shirt, it seems like it's probably going to be the case going forward again. Yeah, there might be a wider discussion to have about the elements of chaos and jeopardy in our games. Because I'm, I'm trying to think about when there have been moments of madness under Pep that we've come out on top. Mm. And again, this might just be an issue of negative stuff sticking more than yeah, positive yeah. stuff. But you think about on Champions League exits, Liverpool, Spurs, uh, Madrid, obviously, last week, two weeks ago, uh, and penalties. Do we have an issue with coming out on top in moments of chaos? Maybe. Mm. Or it, we're just shit out of luck and... You know the, the the footballing gods hate us during these moments. And, <laughs> the script you know, we, we will have equally positive moments in the in in chaos. Uh, it's hard to say. I I don't like putting anything down to mentality issues because I think some of the achievements that this squad has had, yeah. especially I think it was was it seventeen wins on the bounce to win the league by a point. Um, they, they, they've pulled off some incredible moments, 100 points after mm. being nil-nil at Southampton for 89 minutes. They have pulled off some amazing things. The squad has an unbelievable mentality, even, again, to come back at, at West Ham to pull that back to two all. My, my instinct is to just say that we just don't have the slices of luck in those, mo- in those moments. But law of averages, I think we can hopefully then... <laughs> Break the duck, and in the next couple of years, experience some positive moments in the uh, in the chaos and jeopardy. Yeah, and if one man's probably going to um, add to that chaos and that that jeopardy, it is, it is uh, Erling Haaland, isn't it? Um, before we move on, then obviously Adam and I have touched on the Erling Haaland transfer. We've, we've done hours and hours and hours. It feels like a, a, another family member for me. The amount we've spoken <laughs> about him. But um, before we move on, then Ollie, just your your summary on on that transfer because. It's difficult, and, and do you know what? I say it's difficult, but there are plenty of people who are writing him off and saying that his he will not be a success at City, which I think it's fair to say there are elements of his game that may not succeed as much as, as others, perhaps one being the fact that there won't be as much space for him to run into either behind or with the ball at his feet. But where are you sort of, uh, I suppose, given the way you, you've opened this show today, but that, that you're excited and you want him being dragged in, even before Aston Villa, but where are you sort of standing on, on the imminent transfer of uh, Erling Haaland I can't wait the guy's a killer. <laughs> the, the, the guy the guy is a killer I don't know how much Borussia Dortmund you watch 
quite a bit, quite a bit. Yeah, and, uh, and for the viewers as well. Dortmund are not the most creative team out there. And they even have games where they just cannot seem to create anything. Mm. For Haaland's record to be where it is, almost a goal a game in a team that barely serves anything up for him, is out of this world. Yeah. Out of this world. And then you, you look over at what we do, and how many balls do we see flashing across the penalty mm. spot, flashing across the edge of the six-yard box? And we just don't have anyone instinctively attacking that space, instinctively attacking those kind of positions to stick the ball in the net. I mean, one of the most amazing things that I like about the videos of all of Haaland's goals and um, hats off to the Bundesliga because every time he scores one, they upload a new video saying <laughs> yeah. 86 goals in 87 games, 87 goals every time. Is, don't they? Yeah, the, the most incredible thing about his goals, and I'm not talking about the ones on the break, which some people that write him off seem to think those are the only goals he ever mm, scores, mm. Uh, which means he's not going to succeed at City because we don't get that space. But the ones where he's always... He, he just throws defenders off when he's in the tight spaces in the box and he's always pointing at where he wants the ball. His runs are perfectly timed. You know, the, Those small runs over two, three mm. yards to make mm. up that kind of space in the box... I think he will be... I have every confidence that he's going to be amazing for us. Now, this might bite him in the arse. It could. I get that. Um, he might even get Pepitis, which I think, aside from <laughs> Ruben Diaz, nobody's really hit the ground running in the first season. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I just don't see how he can be a failure. And for those that are writing him off saying, well, there's certain parts of his game that aren't complete and well-rounded, the guy's 21 years old. Mm, mm. He's 21 years old. He's 22 in the summer. He is about to work under one of the best coaches around in terms of improving individual attributes of players and, and getting them up to scratch. He's got a lot to learn. Uh, and I think from his perspective, whatever you think about the rumours that he does dream of playing for Madrid or whatever, I think there's little doubt that he's taken the right decision at this point in his career because he can now go forward and learn things under Pep and complete his game for, for the parts that people criticise him for. So... Yeah, I I think he's going to be a raging success. And then obviously there's the emotional side of it with, with Alfie Harland and the way his career ended. Um, and you've, you've almost got the old boys club with Paul Dickoff, Sean Gerson, yeah. yeah. tweeting him and bantering with him. I, I think it's a beautiful thing, the, the, the move both emotionally and uh, just in terms of what we need from a footballing perspective. And, and last thing on that, it was good to see Jude Bellingham's quotes on Harland as well. Because he kind of put paid to those saying that Haaland's moved for money uh, or because Madrid didn't want him or anything like this. And and Bellingham said this was his footballing dream. Mm. And he's now completing that dream. He's, he's manifesting the Haaland destiny, if you will. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm really excited, honestly. And the, the, the rest of the season has been dragging for two reasons. One, because of the excruciating title race that we're in. Uh, and two, because I just can't wait to see this guy turn up. Yeah, no, it is getting to the point where you're literally counting down the days. I think it's probably going to be in the America Tour if he goes on that. Uh, or, or if not, then obviously the first competitive game. Community Shield, which was confirmed with Liverpool's FA Cup win. But uh, interesting to mention the creativity for, for Haaland and the fact he's still scored, what is it, 22 league goals in 24 matches for Dortmund this year. Don't forget, 
Jaden Sancho left Dortmund. He was one of their chief creators at the end of last year. They've also Gio, uh, Gio Reyna, who is um, another son of the former City player, yeah. obviously Claudio. He's been injured for a lot of the campaign as well, and he, he's an incredible talent, one that I wouldn't mind seeing at City if he could sort of patch his injuries up as well. But he's been, he's missed a lot of the season, so he does create goals out of absolutely nothing. And if there is one criticism you find of City, it is the fact that they, they struggle to sort of, um, with that clinical edge, as, as we've all experienced, the number of times right then um, from one Brushy Dortmund player or one former Brushy Dortmund player to an, uh, another in Ilkay Gundogan reports dropping yesterday to the time of recording that City were looking to offload Gundogan at the end of the season since then there have been reports that that may not be as true as, as it came out in the Daily Mail that may not be as true as first reported likes of Sam Lee came out and said well maybe but we'll have to wait till the end of the season for anything to be decided it looks as if he's going to be leaving though and obviously he arrived as Pep Guardiola's first signing all the way back in 2016 costing just 21 million pounds before we delve a little bit deeper in then what were your initial thoughts on the on the prospect that City could be losing Ilkay Gundogan obviously he's, he's getting on a little bit he's not getting any younger but um a fantastic player and and it would leave a little bit of a gap in the dressing room I can imagine. Yeah, Gundogan has established himself as as one of the leaders over the last couple of years. I think you know we saw him giving the pep talks in the All or Nothing documentary. He's been voted as one of the five captains uh, for the last couple of seasons. He is also he's been working with the uh, the, the youth teams in the CFA. Mm to pick up his coaching badges. He's obviously got an incredible football brain. I think his influence will be missed. I think his footballing ability will only be missed if we fail to bring in a suitable replacement. Yeah, He does offer something different to the rest of the guys in midfield, from Kevin De Bruyne, from Bernardo. He, he, he can control a game with, really with his first touch. Mm. Yeah. In the midfield, he has what they call, you know, the La Pausa. Um, the, the, just the ability to control the tempo with the way he puts out his first touch and then and then releases the ball into the space that he sees. He's not necessarily our prime creator. He's not our prime engine like Bernardo. Mm-hmm. He he just offers stability, and you know, you see him brought on in games where we just need to assert some control. Obviously, against uh, Real Madrid when we were looking at. Uh, just trying to see the game out. Unfortunately, I know it never happened, but De Bruyne came off and, and, and Gundogan came on, and for good reason. I can understand why that happens. I think though some people that perhaps don't watch City every week will say, why is Pep brought De Bruyne yeah, off? Yeah, yeah, player, yeah. Da, da, da. They have different roles and they have different purposes in the team. So, yeah, Gundogan will definitely be missed from a footballing perspective, but we, we, we have to move forward when the time is right with players. I think he might feel the time is right as well. He may want to see out his career. I, I, you hear rumours and snippets that maybe his body might be starting to wane a little bit and his, his, his physical suitability to the Premier League might not be what it was. So I think he should go almost like David Silva, go and enjoy his football mm. in perhaps a less intensive league, be one of the best players on the pitch again, uh, almost a bigger fish in a smaller pond, and go enjoy his football. And I hope we do see him coming back at some point to, to coach our next generations, but it's really important that we replace him because, as I say, they do serve different roles, these players, uh, between De Bruyne, Bernardo and Gundogan, and we could really do with with 
that number eight that is capable of fulfilling that role. Personally, I would quite like to see Grealish in there. I think mm. he's got that ability to work in tight spaces and control the tempo of a game, whether we're being pressed, whether they're, they're, they're sat deep, wherever it may be. I would like to see Grealish grow into the role, but it's going to come down to whether or not Pep trusts him from August to be there. Uh, and if not, I think we do need to bring in a number eight alongside a number six to replace Fernandinho. Yeah, definitely. We'll um, we'll we'll jump to the the possible replacements a little bit later on. Um, just on that, what you were saying about the way he controls tempo, it's almost for anyone who's watched a lot of German football will understand this. But it's not a very German way. He's not a very German footballer. Is, is I guess is what I'm trying to say because he, he's a sort of the, the the profile footballer you could imagine coming out of a 2008 Spain European Championship winning team. You know, like you say, that first touch which it receives the ball facing one way, and next thing you know, you're on a counter attack. And it's it's incredible. The way he plays is is astonishing. Um, and like you say, you know, he, he's been a superb performer. It's weird because uh, there's obviously the the the, the idea one day is that Vincent Company will return to manage Manchester City. But I've said for a while I don't think City's first former player manager will be someone as high profile as Vincent Company. Now I was I was in Belgium actually just last week watching Anderlecht and Vincent Company's team, and you know I, I have to say they were a superbly the drill team. There's some fantastic players there, um, like Jordi Gomez, who, who City potentially might be looking at a left back, and um, Amazou as well, and they had Joshua Zerki from from Bayern Munich, but that um, he's doing wonders with with Anderlecht. But I can actually see. Gundwan potentially being the man in the in the dugout once upon a time, and and that leads me to my next question. I guess is, are City correct to let Gundwan leave? Because you sort of you, you remember the way, for example, Aguero was allowed to leave at the end of his contract. Yaya Torre, Pablo Zabaleta, David Silva. City not so much pushing him out the door, but saying off you go, find yourself another club before you know you sat on the bench for a year at a time, and you know experience football elsewhere may seem genuine and, and steadfast on the surface, but does it perhaps further down the line leave the door open for someone else to come in and you know get his next step in his career, if, whether that's coaching, managerial or whatnot? Or, or should City sort of try and tie him down, I suppose, say, you know what, no, we'll, we'll have you till you, you turn grey in, in the hair and whatnot, and then you can coach our under-8s, under-9s, under-10s, under-11s, and, you know, almost lock him down from a from a, a point going forward now, so that one day maybe he is. Because he definitely he fits that managerial profile, doesn't he, really? We've seen him on Football Manager, and he's got the he's got the talk, he's got the coaching gear and stuff like that. So, do you think City correct to let him leave now? Is it the, the honourable thing to do, or do you think we have to perhaps be a little bit more selfish? I think we've probably taken the same approach that we took with Fernandinho last season, last summer. Yeah, We will always have a role for you. If you want to stay, you can. He still has a year on his contract as well, so it's not like we'd, we'd need to put anything on the yeah. table. Uh, I think, yeah, we've just taken that approach and said there is a role for you if you want the role. There is space. You may be sat on the bench, but you know we'll, we'll start developing your coaching career. We might call upon you in certain cup games or league games for having injury issues, da-da-da. But I ultimately think this is driven by Ilke. And mm. I think the club, we do plan well. We do plan well with Aguero leaving, Silva leaving. It, it, I say we plan well in terms of we allow these players to leave. We don't hold anyone hostage. We know when it is time to call time on their careers at City. Replacements are hit and miss in terms of immediate replacements. Obviously, with Aguero, we've now got the replacement 
one year on from when he left, but possibly two to three years on from when we probably yeah. needed another yeah. striker. Uh, never really replaced company for a year or so until Ruben Diaz came in. So if we let Gundogan go and if Fernandinho goes, well, actually, Fernandinho, obviously, of course, we know is leaving now. We, we have to be ruthless in replacing them this window. And when I say ruthless, I don't mean go and spend 80, 90, 100 million on a replacement. Yeah. It doesn't need to be a Jude Bellingham type character, you know, going all mm-hmm. out for these people. We need somebody to fulfill the role. And ultimately, we need somebody to fulfill the headcount because we really don't want in midfield what we've suffered in defence this season. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Where a couple of injuries can kind of put paid to one of our cup runs or just just cause a bit of chaos at a time in the season where we don't really need it to happen. So a City right to let him go. If he wants to go, he can go. I've got no problem with that. He's been an amazing servant to the club, like so many over the last few years have, and he'll leave in amicable circumstances. And on the Vincent Company thing, just one point on there, I do not want to see Vinny become our manager. I don't care if he is the best manager on the planet. I echo that. I cannot think of anything worse than doing what United did this season with Solskjaer and be booing him and you know, Ollie out. Yeah, yeah. Imagine calling for Vinny's head. Gundogan is a great character for someone like that because he wouldn't ruin his legacy necessarily mm. by coming in as a manager and if it perhaps didn't work, then we'd have to let him go. We're not putting a legacy at risk in that sense, whereas with company, I... Yeah, I couldn't bear to be stood there and in the stadium just asking for asking for him to for him to be sacked. So, yeah, I don't want Vinny near us from a managerial perspective. Um, but yeah, Gundogan certainly in the future is a great candidate alongside Arteta, Vieira. Uh, we seem to be producing a few successful coaches now. Yeah, not not only successful players but also coaches. I absolutely echo that. Um, I know it's not about Vincent Company's future managerial. Uh, uh, and where where he'll end up as a manager, but I completely echo that. And actually, my dad, um, if he's listening, will know that I we've been in heated debates where he said, "No, I'd love to see it." You know, he, he's clearly got the mentality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I said purely, "No, I don't care if he he wins the Champions League with Burnley." Then even still, you know, he, he's you do not want to get to a situation where you tie in, you, you sort of tearing up uh, Vincent Company's legacy because it, it's not working out as a manager. Um, back to Gundwan then. Let's do the chat about the rebuild. I actually had a thought sort of going back in, uh, a few months ago that the perfect way to get Jude Bellingham to come to Manchester City would be wait until Gundwan's contract expired a little bit and, you know, it's, it's down to next year. Do you extend that? I don't know the uh, exact dealings of transfers, but offer Gundwan, who is obviously former Brushy Dortmund, to Brushy Dortmund, where he had an immeasurable success as a player as part of the Jude Bellingham deal, which would still be astronomically expensive. You know, there's, there's no £50 million release clause in, in Jude Bellingham's contract, but it looks as though that is not really going to be the case, is it? Um, you know, we don't know where he's going to end up. A little bit of rumours about Barcelona. Obviously, he went to Madrid in the, in the in the last couple of days to speak about it, but we'll wait and see. As far as it stands now, though, heading into next season, obviously one game of the campaign left to play, but as it stands at the moment, Rodri De, Bar- uh, De Bruyne, absolute certainties to be, or at least you'd expect to be in the squad. You'd expect now Bernardo Silva's future to be tied down to City if they're going, yes, OK, Gundwan, you can leave. Replacing three midfielders would seem 
almost suicidal, really, wouldn't it? So we're going to give Bernardo Silva a 99% chance of staying. We know City are on the lookout for midfielder to replace Fernandinho, at least off the cover to Rodri. That's probably going to have to be two now, isn't it? Um, names be linked, Enzo Fernandez. Matthias Nunes are just a couple, a few others, like Sir Frankie de Jong, but rumours have gone cold a little bit on that. We've seen issues with squad depth, as you've, as you've mentioned. Do you think City then, if we only go after one midfielder and, and we'll get to potential players who can play that role in Foden and Grealish um, in, in the next sort of segment, but do you think City will have a similar problem that we've had with the defence this year if it is just the one midfielder that's signed? You know, e- Even if they're a fantastic world beater that can cover a load of positions, we've seen it time and time again. If they get injured, then there's a huge gap in the middle and, and you know, be that defence or, or elsewhere. Or does City have to simply go, you know what, we need two so two midfielders to cover the roles those two world-class footballers have, have sort of operated in? We, we have to be careful. We have to be really careful. We need to take stock of the headcount, taking into account departures. And we need to be looking at who can play where, who does Pep trust to play where. You know, yeah. you, you talk about Grealish, yes, he has the skill set to play in the number eight position, but does Pep trust him there? We've just got to be really careful with this. I would like to see us bring in two midfielders, and I don't want us to bring in necessarily superstars. Jude Bellingham, you know, you talk about a part exchange deal. That is the most football manager transfer. <laughs> I've seen. And I don't disagree with you. I would love yeah, to see yeah. that happen. I think but how often do we see them? Very rarely. Yeah, it, it almost naturally does make sense. Ilke, you know, you, you go see out the, uh, the last days of your career back at home in Dortmund, and uh, Jude, you come join your pal Erling mm. and... and Work under pressure. It would be ideal, but it's probably not going to happen. Uh, and I also don't think Dortmund will want to destabilise their squad that much. They, they let Sancho go and they retained Haaland. I think now they'll, well, they've not had a choice, but Haaland will go and they'll retain Bellingham. It seems to be a conveyor belt of one per season. Yeah, yeah. So I think someone like Enzo Fernandez, Mateus Nunes, maybe looking over to Lucas Paqueta. Uh, these kind of names that are going to be, I'd say, within between 30 to 60 million range, mm-hmm. kind of that mid-range where they will comp- compete with the big boys for spots in the midfield, but not necessarily come in as headline marquee superstar signings. Same with defensive midfield. I think we don't really want to go near Declan Rice for that same reason, unless yeah. Pep is looking at switching to a 4-2-3-1, in which case... Gimme Rodri and Declan Rice in holding midfield, sat behind you know, three, four attackers. That would be great. But it's unlikely. Pep's a, a student of the 4-3-3, and I don't think we're going to move away from that. So, yeah, Rodri needs some competition, but not somebody that's going to get upset sitting on the bench and, and getting chances that are few and far between because Rodri is just that good. And if he carries the form into next season, then we're just not going to have a Declan Rice sat on the bench behind him. So... Mm. If leads go down, which I hope they don't, there's rumours of a relegation release clause for Calvin Phillips somewhere around the 20 million mark. That would be perfect for me. Homegrown, isn't he? So that'd tick another box. Yeah, absolutely. So Calvin Phillips will definitely fit the bill as a number six. He's not up there with Rodri, but he's a good player. He's a Premier League player and he would definitely have a role at City. Uh so, yeah, I, I would be definitely looking at two central midfielders that want to come and that want to play for City. Um, none of this bidding war nonsense with with the roles that we need. 
I think a couple of them for a combined 60, 70 million would probably hit the sweet spot. Uh, and then we can concentrate on filling the final requirement, which is the never ending saga of who the hell plays left back. <laughs> yeah, a, a series longer than Agatha Christie, really, isn't it, at this point? <laughs> Wagatha, um, Wagatha Christie. Yeah, yeah, which is a completely <laughs> different story in itself. I know exactly what you mean. I think the, the eternal problem for City, uh, along with the left back, is, is the fact that, and, and Adam and I have spoken about this before, and I'll just get your take on it. At the end of last season, we had the Champions League final the heartbreak of that the day after news broke that there were six or seven players in the city team who wanted to leave because they're not getting enough game time and that's the the constant problem you go into half of a team of city's stature is you're gonna you're gonna need a small enough squad that everyone's happy to play here or there you can't uh, city and guardiola aren't the sort of fit that are going to have I don't know, 21 players who are in the squad and, you know, two or three. Like, we, we used to see it with um, Pellegrini and Mancini at times, didn't we? That The question was, uh, or the question wasn't, who's in the starting eleven most weeks? The question was, who's been left out of the squad itself? And, you know, you remember Jovetic or Negredo and Aguero and Dzeko or even for Balotelli and seven. You know, there's abundance of talent. Midfield is Guardiola's love child, really, isn't it? That's where you find the best players or the most Guardiola-esque players. If City only do buy one of them, let's say it's either Enzo Fernandez or Matthias Nunes, do City then look at perhaps using Foden and Grealish in there instead? Now, we've seen, um, we've not so, so much seen Jack Grealish operate there, and again, how much does Guardiola trust him to do that role? We have, however, seen Phil Foden do it, not only for City, but for England as well. And granted, I think the last time I saw him play there for England may have been Andorra, who have six or seven professional players or something like that. So, you know, it's not the, the biggest of tests, but he got man of the match and he bossed it. Um, is there a future there then for Phil Foden or is he is he going to play out with the rest of his City or footballing career? out wide and uh, I don't know if that's where he's most effective and for me seems like a player who who looks best playing when the game has has wit five aside of him and he can play off that or he can drive into space himself uh, Foden can play anywhere he wants <laughs> yeah if we can have 11 Phil Fodens I'll be quite happy um, we've got that listen the upside of having pep as manager and pep directing the overall direction of the club and the talent that we produce is that we do also have an abundance of young talent that can possibly fulfill those roles i think number 6 behind rodri will be the priority in terms of replacing gundogan assuming obviously that bernardo and kdb both stay uh, kdb obviously there's no doubt but bernardo if he sticks around We've got a few that do have the skill set to play there. We've got Foden, we've got Grealish, we've got Cole Palmer, we've got James McAtee. Mm. They're four players already that could possibly fill that role. I would also maybe put Chancello as a candidate right. if really needed to. Chancello, yeah. because obviously the, he does, in a way, fulfill that role anyway yeah, when he plays yeah. an inverted left back and he cuts into the centre of midfield. Um, he is very much playing a similar role to the number eight off the left side. So we do have a few players that can play there. I don't think it's a major priority. As I say, we've just got to be careful. The only one that can really answer that question is Pep because it's it's all about what he sees every day in training and, and his eye is better than the rest of ours. So he needs to establish whether or not he's got the right legs to fulfil that role if we can't find a suitable purchase. So I do think number six would be priority. But 
yeah, as I say, Phil Foden, I, I would trust him anywhere across really the, the front three or four positions that, that we've seen him playing already. So he's an unbelievable asset to have because we can slot him really anywhere he's required. Uh, but not not overly worried about number eight yet. Uh, I think we just need to get that left back in, get that number six in to replace Dino and worry about number eight later once we've got those in place. Cancelo's going to be like a rotisserie chicken, isn't he? Just going from like every single position across that, doing doing a circle. Right I back. think so, because he's quality, and I think yeah. there are questions about him defensively. Yeah. Generally, I think he is better in an, in an advanced position. Yeah. Um, I would sooner see a top left-back come in at left-back, have Walker as our primary right-back, uh, who will also need replacing the next couple of years, but we don't need to think about that yet, and possibly deploy Chancelo in a more advanced role, perhaps in certain games even use him in a double pivot. Mm. Those games where before we've seen both Rodri and Gundogan deployed, or Fernandinho and Gundogan, would instead be Rodri and Chancelo. Yeah. So, yeah, Chancelo, I, I, I would be quite happy to see him further up the pitch, to be honest, because I think in the biggest games he can be a defensive liability. Yeah, I echo that. He's getting to a point now where I'm not sure how many more games I can watch him play right back because that just doesn't seem his position, even though it, it technically is. Um, he's a strange one, but a very good one. Um, right, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do the last bit on Gundogan then before we move on and, and just sort just sort of round off his legacy as, as a City player because, like I said, he obviously arrived at the start of Pep's reign. He got injured very early into his City career. Was out for a very long time. You know, obviously got mocked a little bit with the shirts on with his name on the back and you know commemorating his injury and he hadn't died etc 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 but it was a it was a very bad injury um it wasn't really then until 2017 18 that we saw the qualities he can offer and, and you know we'd been we'd seen at Dortmund and then he comes into that 100 point season and well since then he's been an absolutely exceptional servant his performances then last year I think uh, undoubtedly his best in a city shirt the 2020 21 campaign he finished the season as City's highest goal scorer. Where would you then rank that in the in the list of individual seasons from from players and you know going back to the likes of Yaya Torre 2013-14, Sergio Aguero's golden boot win, I think that was in 2015, um Kevin De Bruyne 2019-20, you know, these amazing campaigns that we still speak about today. In a couple of years' time, where do you think Gundogan's 2020-21 top goal scoring City Champions League winners or Premier League winners season falls into that list? Below all of the above. Okay. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on why. I think it's probably to do with Pep's teams not having much individualism about them. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yes, whilst Gundogan was our best player... Uh, maybe next to Bernardo, and obviously his goals were, were were crucial throughout the campaign. When you look back at the Aguero season and the Yaya season in particular, those are seasons where you look back and in summary you say, they dragged us to the title. Yeah, yeah. Yaya Torre grabbed the City team by the scruff of the neck and dragged us to the title. Sergio Aguero was the same. I don't think you would say that about Gundogan's season. Don't get me wrong, absolutely superb. It was a cracker of a season. It was incredible. But you still almost look back at the team as opposed to the man. Yeah. And again, you know, the Centurion season, they, they are the Centurions. You don't 
really put your finger on one player in particular and say they dragged us to 100 points. Whereas, yeah, as I say, the the Yaya year, the Aguero year, those those will live in the memory as their seasons. Hmm. Um, so I, I almost feel for Gundogan in that sense, but <laughs> I, I do think we will look back at him in this period as one of our best players and one of our most important players. I just don't think as an individual season it will kind of rank in that hall of nostalgic fame as much yeah, as some others yeah. have. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Obviously, nostalgia is a an interesting one to to comprehend, isn't it? And you know that for me, the the hands down best City season is Yaya Torre twenty thirteen fourteen. That was the the that goal against Aston Villa, the the surging run, the brushing plays aside, the composed finish. That was an epitome of what had gone before it. And I don't think we've ever seen well. Well, we we genuinely haven't. The goals he scored there as a midfielder are, are yet to be surpassed um, or at least I think they were level with Frank Lampard but it was essentially one of a generation sort of of seasons I'd have Gundogan's 2020-21 campaign perhaps in the top three purely because the way he reinvented himself when City didn't acquire the striker obviously going after Kane ditching that going after Messi ditching that in the end and then just sort of ending up with this rotating lineup and then finding Gundogan I think perhaps he maybe falls down a little bit with the Champions League final and obviously what went wrong there but that's not on him, um, but yeah, but yeah, he, he was absolutely superb, and he has been a fantastic player, and will be sorely missed. Yeah. Um, okay, then finally, before we bounce, let's talk about City's new kits because you and I have both been like little school kids messaging each other with <laughs> bundles of excitement for the last couple of weeks, speaking about these these kit leaks. It looks as if they're set to be released officially, or at least the home shirt is in in the next week or so. Presume listeners would have seen the leaked images. If not, you know, you just have to type in City Away Kit or City Home Kit. You should be able to find them there. So I won't go about trying to badly describe them. I'm no, no doubt getting plenty of jargon wrong. But um, just, to, just to sort of round it off then, thoughts and feelings with the Home Kit to start off with. Obviously, you know, it's the rounded collar. I said I wasn't going to do this, but I guess I'm going to have to. <laughs> rounded collar, badge in the middle, bits of burgundy, white shorts, blue socks, I think I'm right in saying. So, yeah, uh, thoughts on that? I don't think the shorts and socks have been officially unveiled yet um, or revealed yet. I think by the time this podcast yeah. goes out, they may do, but I love it. Yeah. I am a nostalgia merchant. I love the tribute to Colin the King in the neck of the mm. top. I love the centralised badge. My only hope is that at some point during the season, as, as Puma like to do, we do release a limited edition one that doesn't have the Puma logo or Etihad on it. Mm, yeah, that would be unbelievable. Yeah, I love the throwback. I love the burgundy on the sleeves. Uh, it, it will be. You know what? It's actually been a few years since I last bought a home kit. Um, I think the last home shirt I bought was maybe Pep's first season, 16, 17. Mm. Since then, I've just been kind of picking up the away kits and... and Third kits, except this season's third. <laughs> but yeah, this this home kit will be a day one purchase for me. Mm. Uh, although not day one, it will depend on when we uh, unveil Erling Haaland's number. Which again, nostalgia merchant. I hope he takes. <laughs> I hope he takes Alfie's number fifteen rather than the number nine. But uh, yeah, I, I I think it's fantastic. I like anything that throws back to the club's past and the club's history. Um, amazing. What about you? 
Yeah, absolutely spot on. Um, for me, I think it's probably the first time Puma have truly nailed a City home shirt. There's been yeah. I, I, I've been sceptical of Puma's uh, sort of stint with City so far, um, but there, there's one or two away shirts that I've, I've, I've liked. There's one that I've probably loved, but there's not been really. And like you, there's not been really. I've any I've actually gone out and purchased. This will be as soon as I can. I'll be getting it, and you know it'll be taking pride of place on the wall because it is it is sublime it really is absolutely sublime i'm a huge fan of centralized badges i know they're becoming a little bit of a trend at the moment and it's almost like blackout kits were a few seasons ago and we're seeing more and more of them but i really do like centralized badges the, you know there's a reason 60 years ago whatever it was they, they were the thing because they look class and then you sort of bring in sponsors and badges and, and all sorts and you, you get a little bit of a, a messy shirt but I, I really do think it looks superb um it's obviously got the nod to the to the old shirt like you said and the bit i love the most and this is something i hope city kits in the future use more of is the burgundy accents because that the, the the sky blue the white and the burgundy is as, as good a color combination as you can imagine and i think that's probably divided a few people actually hasn't it because i've seen some say oh if it didn't have the burgundy it'd be an all-timer etc etc but <laughs> i think it, it it looks really good um off the puma home shirts then where, where do you think this one falls obviously what are we now into the fourth season the first one was what i thought at the time was going to be burgundy but it ended up being a little bit of a, a strange purpley sort of like washed out color then we had the the cracked mosaic one which nah, i wasn't too sure on at start but then it grew on me then this season's the 9320 and then and then obviously the the rounded collar burgundy centralized badge yeah i'm actually just looking back at the graphic now of all the home kits and i think it's the best one it's yeah. the best one. And again, I, it, I've said enough, really, and I've not bought any of the previous home shirts that Puma have done. Um, I, I just don't think they've been great. I wasn't a fan of the Cracked shirt at all, mm. the, the, the mosaic design. Again, I like that nod to the mosaic that was outside of Main Road. I, I appreciate that, but the design on a shirt didn't really work for no. me. No. Um, it looked like it was at the bottom of a swimming pool, didn't it? That's sort of yeah, strange yeah. reflected yeah. view. Yeah, no, it's spot on. And the 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 digital clock design again, it it just I appreciate the nods that they're trying to give to big moments in our history and to, to the sentimental aspects. I, I like that. They're not trying to overly modernize what we're doing. They're making sure that we do we do pay tribute to uh, parts of City's past, but you're not going to stick a banana on a kit because you like waving <laughs> bananas on it, right? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that would look a bit suspect, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, they just haven't pulled it off. But uh, this one is is perfect. Um, I think those that don't like the burgundy accents, uh, I don't care. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for this. I think I think we'll look top and hopefully we do some great things in the kit. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the thing as well, isn't it? You've got a good kit, you don't want it to go to waste. Um, away kit then, because it's another it's another shirt that recognises City's heritage, obviously with the, the red and black stripes, although the Puma designers allowed themselves a little bit more creative freedom with this one, didn't they? It's um, it's not vertical like was expected at the start when it was announced, that, or at least leaked that it was going to be red and black. There are sort of diagonal stripe that goes across, and you know when you first look at it, you sort of just your head a little bit, think you've got your phone screen the wrong way around, but um, you know what? 
the only thing for me looking at this shirt now with the leaked one is, is, is the fact that it's a v-neck which i'm not too fond on but i don't think it takes away from it too much it's another it's another solid entry i think and perhaps maybe the first time puma have nailed the, the home and away what do you think i i love everything about the away shirt except the orientation of the stripes mm. the again i've just got a graphic up now of city kits historical um, I'm going back to pre-2003 here, although I know that we did have a red and black one. I think, was it 2011? Yeah, the we FA. Had red yeah, vertical. Yeah. 99 to 02, it was vertical red and black. 94 to 96, vertical. 98, 99, the yellow and black, which I'm actually wearing right now, was vertical. They're, they're all looking back. They've all been vertical stripes, except those that have had the diagonal red and black sash across them. So I think that kind of trying to reinvent the wheel with this one um, where they don't need to but I like the colour scheme will probably buy it um, but the the home kit's the one for me and also just a tidbit on the third kit actually uh, I've heard I can't vouch for how true it may be uh, I think the third kit is set to be yellow Yeah. the historical precedent for this one is a 1989 fourth kit which we only ever wore once and we got battered 4-0 <laughs> by Arsenal so yeah listeners have a uh, have a google for that one yeah yeah um, it's it's actually a nice kit so hopefully you've not butchered that one as well um in terms of just trying to mess around with the design and and, and do silly things but uh yeah away kit probably a, maybe a seven and a half out of ten home kit i'll give it a solid nine and a half It'd be too easy, wouldn't it, for Puma to just give the the horizontal stripes and just say, like, you know, there's two all-time City kits. Yeah. They, they have to do something. And do you know what? I understand why, because you, you're not, you know, City supporters of certain ages and, you know, who have been fans for, for X amount of years or would understand the, the red and black sort of connotations, would mm-hmm. want it to be horizontal. But then they're also trying to tap into different markets. You know, Manchester City supporters are not the only people who are going to buy this shirt. So if it has got a little bit of a quirky element, you know, you see why. And, you know, maybe, maybe we have been a little bit spoiled with the home one. I, I think the, the, the test, the true test, as always, is how it looks on players because they are... Yeah much fitter, much more chiselled, much bigger and stronger than any of us will ever be. And, you know, if they, if they pull it off, then then fair enough. If not, You say that, but in the promotional pictures that we've seen on Puma's website today, they've got Phil Foden in a shirt that's <laughs> two or three sizes too big and somebody actually doctored one of the pictures and put a microphone in front of him with some Oasis lyrics. Um, <laughs> that's pretty much spot on, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're probably right once they actually get the lads in the, in the right fitting ones. And they've also memed Jack Grealish putting a, a football shirt over a hoodie yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah we'll, we'll see how they look on the players but I, I think they'll look fantastic um and if they can nail the third kit as well then we might have uh, we might have three out of three in terms of purchases and um, although the prices these days it'll absolutely wreck me but yeah, yeah it's worth it yeah, definitely. We'll wait and see. Um, yeah, I'm hoping the yellow is 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 yellow, and it's not sort of this weird washed out highlighter stuff we saw with Nike for some of their for some of their kits. You know, we'll wait and see for that one. Um, they, might, they might stick the banana on that one. Yeah, that's maybe that's the thinking. Maybe that's the thinking. Surely we can't have three out of three. That'd be too selfish. Um, God, God knows what next seasons will be like. Or oh, sorry, the season after that, they'll be, they'll be god awful, won't they? Um, but I guess we'll we'll wrap it up there. Obviously, gone for an 
awful lot. And who knows, by the time this hits your ears, City may be champions. We'll, we'll have to wait and see what Southampton can do. On the night of recording, probably going to go to the last day though, isn't it? Um, Ollie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Anything else that you'd like to add before we get out of here? Nothing from me. Just hope that Southampton do do a job on Liverpool tonight and uh, this podcast becomes very quickly outdated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, given the results we've had against Southampton, then uh, I think they're, they're, due a bit of, uh, due a bit of revenge elsewhere. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure to be joined by Ollie. I have been Amos Murphy. If you can like, subscribe... Oh, I butchered that. I'll have to cut that out. If you can... <laughs> If you can hit subscribe and follow on whatever podcast platform you are listening along on, that will be superb. Leave a rating and a review as well if you are new around here. It's been an absolute pleasure and until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.